0: let's uh, let's pray uh, what a privilege to come um, before your majesty this morning to be led so beautifully in song of your greatness and to enjoy uh, a little sliver of your glory uh, for that father in heaven we thank you we thank you uh, that we can come and listen to this part of your word it, it seems distant to us in some respects and we pray that you will bring it home, and that you will meet with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so word association, word association game. Many of you who have played this in the past, I'm going to say a word, and I'd like you to think you know, in your head, you don't need to shout out, don't embarrass yourselves, in your head, in your head, just say the first, you know, say the first thing that comes to your head, that comes to your mind. Okay, so Bread. Now, most people, apparently if you say bread, they say butter, water, loaf, food, or money. Maybe some of you said something else and you're, you know, you're over there. On. Most people, when you say on, they'll say off. I did when I had a go at this. Top. In. I don't know why in, actually. Time. To. Okay, here's another one. Love. I wonder what you thought of. Most people say hate, sex, girl, life, marriage. Bird. What about bird? What would you say for bird? I said robin for bird. It's just because there was one making a noise outside. But most people say fly, girl, tree, song, feathers. Now here's one for you. Here's one. Church. What's the first word? that comes to your mind when someone says to you, church. I'm pretty sure most people say things like building, religious, God. They might say Jesus. I'm pretty sure most people would say that. The thing that Paul would say, the thing that this letter would say, the thing that the Bible would say is family. It's the first word. That comes to mind. Look at verses 1 and 2. Look at verses 1 and 2. Church, church is family. Chapter 5 of 1 Timothy. Great if you have that open in front of you. This is, this is a real cracker of a passage this morning. Okay, so if you have it open in front of you, it'll probably help. Uh, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Church, church is family. In Mark 3, 34 to 35, Jesus said that anyone who does God's will, that will become important to us as we read further on in a minute, if anyone who does God's will is his mother, is his brother and is his sister. And here in 1 Timothy 5, a letter written by a chap called Paul, one of the early church leaders. He wrote a number of letters in the New Testament to churches and to this individual, Timothy, his church leader and sometimes church troubleshooter. Paul here starts off by telling Timothy how relationships should work in the church, that we should fundamentally, at our absolute core, see this gathering this morning, not as some religious event, but as a gathering of family. Brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, that's what I should address you as this morning. You're my family. Those older than me, they're my fathers and mothers. That's how I should look at you. That's how I should address you. That's how I should consider you. Those younger or the same age as us, they are brothers and sisters. You know, some months ago, we thought about those who should lead the church, and uh, we thought about elders and overseers and deacons, particularly because at the time, we were thinking about and have been thinking through what kind of church leader we should have um, uh, 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 going forward. And what do you read in chapter 3, verse 4? You read, he must, the church leader, must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. Church is family. If you can't manage the small church, your little family well, then you can't manage the big family well. Church is family. Just, just, just let that hang in your mind a moment. It, it affects the rest of the passage we're going to read. You may not have an earthly family. Your earthly family may not be the best. You may have been horribly mistreated by your earthly family. But as a Christian, you are part of something completely different. You are part of a church. You're part of a family with God as your Father. When Christians pray, as we addressed God just a few moments ago, when Christians pray, what do we say? We say, our Father. Because they are in a new and true family with a Father that is all that our earthly fathers are not. We may be an only child physically, but there is no only children in this family. There are brothers and sisters and lots of mothers and fathers. You see, this group called the church is not some online community where we spend our time tracking the feed of those who we're particularly interested in. It's not self-selecting like that. It's God-selecting. You don't choose who's in your earthly family. You don't choose who's in this family. But you still have to treat them the way Paul instructs here. Exhort an older man and treat him as though he's your father. Treat sisters with absolute purity. This is not some family that you self-select, though thanks to some of our church family we do have an online presence. This is not some sports club where we get to pay our dues and may get a chance to play in the next game, though we do have many members who love their sport and play regularly. This is not a political society. This is not where we subscribe to one other or many views of economics or Brexit, though I'm sure we all have opinions on said things. This is not a place, as we'll discover in a moment, where I dominates. This is not a place for I. This is a place for us. This is a place for our Father, not my Father. This is family. Church. Church is family. It's the kind of place... It's the kind of place where patience and honor, the kind of uh, patience and honor that should be in this group is that found in a family that's directed by a perfect father. And the main point going on in this passage, I think, the main point going on in this passage, is the kind of place where affection and care should be among us in a very vivid and wonderful way. Now, I don't know about you, But before we go any further, in studying this passage, I have been seriously rebuked about my view of the church. Seriously rebuked. In studying this passage, I've realized that I'd forgotten, completely forgotten, and wonder whether I ever knew that church is not an institution, it's not some arbitrary group, and it's certainly not a place that I choose to belong to because I fancy that song or this song or that way or that the other way. Church is a place where God has won individuals and has adopted them and brought them into the most glorious and beautiful thing, a family. And you are my fathers and my brothers and my sisters and my mothers, all of you. And they are that to you. It transforms your view of this meeting on a Sunday morning, of prayer meetings on Wednesdays, of home groups. You're not meeting just to go to an event. You're meeting with family. It transforms the the possibilities of discussions afterwards when we have cups of tea. You're not talking to some stranger. You're talking to a brother. You're talking to a sister. And you get the opportunity to do that in a way that honors God. You're part of a family if you're a Christian. You're not alone. Church, i completely forgotten that. And I'm so sorry that I had, but church is family. You know, church families have a duty, actually. And that's what I think the rest of this passage is about. We actually have a duty. And it's, it's vividly put, an event, and again, in studying this passage, I have to say, I, I, I came to this passage in 1 Timothy and I was scratching my head, I was like, why, why why? in such a short letter does Paul, who's, who's talking to a pastor and longing that a pastor sort of um, uh, leads a church well and appoints elders and good leaders, why does he spend this section, this loads of words on widows, why does he do that? It's because it's part of God's heart. It's part of who God is. Church families, you see, church is family, and they should care for the truly needy. They should care. I think that's the general principle here. There's specifics here, but they should care for the truly needy in their number. Look at verse 3. You see it in verse 3. Give proper recognition. Proper recognition, it's going to come up, this kind of recognition. Proper recognition to those who are widows and who are really in need. Look at verse 5. The widow who is really in need and left alone puts their hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. And then in verse 16, there's a sort of a bracket around all that, we've, all that we read this morning which is the thing that makes me believe this is all about one subject, not two. Uh, If any woman who is a believer has widows in her family, she should help them and not let the church be a burden by them. So the church can help those widows who are really in need. Church families should care for the truly needy among them. In the middle of this very short letter to an early church leader, when we could have talked about anything, Paul writes that we have what, what we have as sixteen verses on the subject. Well, uh, fourteen verses on the subject of widows in the church. In this part of the letter, we have some general and some specific instructions to the church of the time, and some of them, I have to say, we don't necessarily understand. I'll touch on those in a moment. But just as having this passage here, but you see, having this passage here communicates something about God's priority for one of the most unnoticed and forgotten groups in the entire world. Widows, and in other parts of the Bible, orphans. It actually is a huge theme in the Bible, and the theme is this, that God Is for the needy. See, church families should care for the truly needy because that's who God is for. That is God's heart. Today in the church, becoming a widow sadly often means that a married woman not only loses her spouse but her social significance, and it can mean hardship too. But we live in a we live in a country where there is support for people who have hardship provided by the government. In Timothy's day, becoming a widow would mean poverty if there, were no, if there were no other willing family members to step in and provide food and shelter. There was no government support or social care system. There were no benefits. That's one thing Roman society did not have. Through their natural culture, through their natural culture, Right through thousands of years, widows and orphans have been forgotten. But God self-describes himself as this, a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows, Psalm 68 verse 5. And because of the kind of God he is, his people are to be the same. Written into his people's law in the Old Testament, that they were that was this. They were not to take advantage of widows. They were to ensure that widows had justice because they had no other way to pay for justice. They were to ensure that it happened anyway. And they were to leave food in their fields for widows. There's this delightful book of the Bible that's all about some widows, Ruth, and there's this amazing man, a godly man, Boaz, who leaves food for Ruth. And it's in her family line that Jesus comes, a widow. God is for the needy. God is for widows. You know, one of the reasons that the Jewish nation described in the Old Testament were judged so harshly by God and ejected from the promised land in the most terrible way were because of their mistreatment of widows and orphans, of those most in need. You know, Jesus made a widow the hero of one of his stories. He didn't have to do that. Jesus watched a widow put a mite, a tiny coin, in the coffers and pointed out to his disciples that she had done much more than anyone giving loads of money. Jesus was walking along and a widow was mourning the loss of her son, the widow of Nain. And what did he do? He raised that son to life. He didn't do that for lots of sons. He did that for that widow. And to ensure that his own widow mother was looked after, when Jesus was dying on the cross, what did he do? He spoke to John the Apostle there, as he's dying on the cross, and said, this is your son and this is your mother. He looked after his own widow. God is for the needy. The very earliest church got how God was for the needy because they, in Acts 6, set apart seven godly men to do what? To ensure the widows all had food. And if you're still unsure if God is for the needy, then you need to do, all you need to do is read another letter in the Bible by a chap called James. And he says this. That true trust in God looks like this. It looks like looking after orphans and widows. That's what it looks like. Putting your trust in God into practice is looking after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. God is for the needy and so should his people be. Because he's the father. Remember, it's family. He's the father and his people are to be in his image. They're to look like him and behave like him. So you'd expect as the father loves the needy, we should too love the needy. Church family should care for the truly needy. But Paul knows that generosity has a real problem that we can give our care out of guilt or as a knee jerk reaction to some sad circumstances, and actually by doing that, we cannot serve the right people it 's amazing this passage it 's incredibly practical as we go through this you see he knows he knows that with god 's passionate care for the needy, you need to ensure that you help the truly needy. It requires discernment. You need to identify the truly needy. Identifying them requires discernment. And that's what a lot of this passage is about. Look at verses 4 and 16. Give proper recognition to those who are widows, who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice, just like James by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. You see, to identify the truly needy, it can't be someone who has family to help. Don't don't, don't give church funds, don't give church resources to those who have earthly family who are willing and able to help. You, that, that's not what should happen. What should happen is earthly family should do the very thing that pleases God. They should look after each other. Verse 4. If there are other families who can help, they should. And it is, the, it is their duty before God to do so. And that can have many, many applications in our present day. I'm not going to go into those. Please feel free to speak, talk about those in house group. But church family is reserved for those who don't have other help. The particular help that we're talking about here. You can see the implication can't you here that church leaders would need to call other family members to step up and help their widows in their family. You know and it, it, you should you should also hear an encouragement here because I know that there are many of you many of you in the church family who are giving yourselves to help your aged parents at the same time as babysitting your ch- your grandchildren. That is a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing and it pleases God. Identifying the truly needy needs the sermon, and it can't be someone with family to help, and it can't be someone who lives for themselves. Timothy, do not use church resources, do not put widows on a list. It seems an official list of those who would be supported. Do not put them on the list if they are people who live for themselves. This is, this is really, this really bites. Look at verse 6. Um, I'll read from verse 5. The widow who is really in need and left alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. Verse 6. But the widow who lives for pleasure, lives for pleasure, is dead. Even while she lives. Look at verse 11. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying things they ought not to. I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander some have in fact already turned away to follow satan you can see that there is a specific issue can't you in the church that timothy that paul is writing to you can see that there is a specific issue with younger widows what they were doing is that they were living for themselves and that they were living for pleasure and they were going around they had the support of their family they had the support of other things they they could live they could live for free they, they basically live for free and they were using it for their own pleasure you know, in our culture, I wonder that it has reversed largely, that now actually the biggest temptation is for young men who generally are more prone to get into the habit of being idle. You know, where they play endless online games for whatever reason, I don't know. Though, you see, this isn't an exclusively a female issue at all, but it was a specific issue in this church. These women were prone to live life for themselves, and doing that, they forgot God. And that brought terrible consequences that I've just read to you. See, even on the path, even walking the path as a widow, in the shadow of death, Paul is calling those widows who have the capacity to support themselves, or have support from their families, or or can and want to marry again, to live out their love for Christ. And to live out their love for Christ in using their surplus capacities, whatever they may be, their time, their energy, their money, for the good of others. Specifically here, to marry again, to have children. thats You know, those of you who have children, that is just pouring your life out for others. Yeah, You know that that's what that is. You're exhausted doing it. That is giving yourself to others. That is the good life that Paul wants these people to live, not the life of pleasure. Freeloaders, freeloaders are not to be supported. They're to be rebuked. They're to be told to turn around and follow God in His ways. There is no place for being idle in the family of God. No place. Being idle in our particular and pleasure-saturated society is one of the most serious enemies that the church faces, in fact. And it's the enemy of your soul. It's the enemy of your eternal life if you live for nothing rather than for others. Because you are rejecting the very Father who loves the needy. And you're going back to the way of life that apparently you turned from. It's a serious warning, isn't it? Identifying the truly needy needs discernment, and it can't be someone who lives for themselves. That would be a waste, a terrible waste of the limited church resources. A terrible waste. Identifying the truly needy in this context, it seems to me, will be a genuine believer. Look at verses 9 and 10. Look at verses 9 and 10. Verse 5 as well. Uh, The widow who is really in need and left alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. There's a genuine believer, someone who just trusts God. They've got nothing else, they've got nowhere else to turn. They implore God for help. And they find in God that he does because he has a church family who will help them. Look at verses 9 and 10. These are the characteristics of a true believer. They're the characteristics of a true elder. They're a char- they, are, they are characteristics of, of anyone, anyone who really... Uh, wants to grow as a Christian, look at verse 9 and 10, no widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over... Now, the over 60 bit is a bit of a question, okay? I don't don't think anybody really knows why he said over 60. It must have been a specific issue in the church, okay? I I can't answer it. If you find some wisdom on that, I'd love to know, okay? But there are many transferable characteristics here, okay? So just look at those, okay? (laughs) Okay? Okay? Unless she is over 60, now listen to this. Be faithful to her husband and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children. There's the other centered needy stuff again. Showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people. That is the lowest slave thing to do, to wash feet. Jesus did it. He washed feet. Helping those in trouble and devoting herself to all kinds of deeds. Just... Just look at the character of this person, okay? The character of this person is to consider themselves consider themselves lower than anybody else and to serve them regardless of who they are. The kind of person is ideal for the blessing of provision from the church family. This is not saying that we shouldn't give to the needs of those outside or the needs of those who can't give back, because certainly this person couldn't give back at all. They were a widow. They had nothing. In, in, um, in another part of the Bible, Galatians 6.10 says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So that just extended it to everybody, and particularly the church family. But it does require discernment to use God's resources Properly, we are to make sure that the resources at the church are used for those who are truly in need church families church is family church families should care for the truly needy they should care for them you know there are needy folk in this church family this is a, re- a rebuke to me as much as it is to us in this room. And in our country at this time, many of their financial needs may well be met. But if there's one thing that it comes up in the news and comes up quite often, it's the curse of loneliness. One of the characteristics of this widow who has nothing yet has shown a life of loving Jesus and following God in verse 10 is to show hospitality, to show hospitality. I wonder that we need to hear that. Because God is for the needy. They may not be your kind of people, they may not know your football, they may not know your things, they may not be anything like you, but they have been won by God and brought into your family. So let's show each other hospitality. Let's care for those who get lonely. At least, if not, give to those who are in financial need. Whatever it is, we could not, it could not be clearer that the desire of our Father in heaven is for all of us who can. We should care for each other very deeply. Do you know, other communities, I just thought of it, I might as well say it, other communities really do put us to shame here. I remember being at university and having many debates and conversations with the Islamic society and the like. One of the things that struck me about that group of people is that if there was any trouble, if there was any need, one of them would be there to supply without expecting it back. If they needed help in their garden, they would help. If they needed a lift, they would give a lift. That's a that's a it's quite a rebuke, isn't it? All of us should give ourselves to the care of each other. Why why is all this so important to God? Why why is this so important to God? What 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 is what is this all for in this book of One Timothy? Well, look, I caught a a short news clip yesterday where a hairdresser had completely changed the way they worked. I don't know, women, if you'd like this, but I'll I'll tell you about it. Let's just see what you think. A group of young artists had also trained themselves to be hairdressers, okay? And what they'd done in their hairdressing salon is they'd removed all the mirrors. Okay? This is really interesting. They'd taken away all the mirrors. So as you were having your hair cut, you didn't know what they were doing, Instead, in front of you was their artwork. And what they did was is they sat you down for however long it took to cut your hair in front of their artwork, and they got you to talk about their artwork. They put on display their artwork while you had your hair cut and you didn't know what they were doing. How would do you feel about that? I mean, that's, that's quite fun, isn't it? That's fun, isn't it? You see, when they wanted to display their handiwork when they wanted to show off their handiwork, they sat you down and put you in front of it and made you talk about it while they cut your hair. When God wants to display his handiwork of loving the needy, what does he do? He says to the world, have a look at my family. That's what he does. Have a look at my family. Church is family. Church family should care for the needy And all of this is to display God's care for the needy. All of this is to put on display God's work, God's love for this community, this world. Look at verse 7, give the people these instructions, this is a command, this is what I'm supposed to do this morning, give the people these instructions too, so that you, so that no one may be open to blame or above reproach, that's a, that's a public thing, that's people looking on, looking on at you and going, oh, I can't criticise them, I just can't do it. If you're a visitor among us this morning, we can't help but be on display to you. We are. We're on display to you, all our warts and all. We are on display to you. Our actions, well, they're likely, most of them, to be ordinary. We're just going to drink tea in a minute. It's not not the most exciting thing to watch, but that's what we're going to do. But we are on display to you. You know, there are those that we share airspace with and carpet with week by week. They see us. They see our actions. They see what we are like. And again, most of our actions will be ordinary. But they could easily make us open to criticism if we're takers rather than givers. But our display is much deeper and richer than any of those things day to day. The way we treat the needy that are close to us in our local physical families... And the way we treat the needy in our church families, it is, is a display of what we think about God, and our Father's kindness, and what we think about our Father's kindness has huge consequences. It, it means we are either right with God or we are not. It means we are either penitent, saying sorry for not being kind, or we are selfish. It simply is as stark as that in this passage. Absolutely brutal. You see, our relationship with our father is all the way through this. Look at verse four. Um, they should repay their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. Look at verse eight. If anyone does not, this is brutal. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith. He's denied his trust in God, and is worse than an unbeliever. Look at verse eleven. Verse 11 As for young widows, do not put them on such a list, but when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge, because they live for pleasure. Look at those warnings. Not serving those needs of others shows that we don't trust God. Not living a life of service shows that we don't want God at all, but prefer, in this, in this particular scenario, and probably in our society too, we prefer the stuff he's made. You see, trust in Christ means a new life, a whole new direction, a new family to be part of. Going back to living selfishly in our families and in the church, living with me at the center, is to give up on the very transformation that God would work in us. It's to give up on God, your Father. It is to hate, the life of, to hate the life of service that suits the church family and our father, that our Father would grow in us. You see, here's the thing. By caring for the needy, we are putting on display the very kindness that God has shown us. As those who have put their trust in Christ, we know... We know, we've been singing about it this morning, we know that God is fundamentally for the needy. We know that because we know that we, we are the needy ones. Every day, all the time, we are desperately needy of God. Not necessarily in a material sense, but when it comes to our relationship with God, our eternal prospects, we are deeply needy. You see, we knew as Christians, we, before we were Christians, before we trusted in Christ, we knew that God was there. We may have denied it, we may have argued about it, we may have suppressed it, but we knew that God was there. We knew that we were accountable to him and we swapped him out for ourselves, to live for ourselves, to live for pleasure, to live selfish lives and to follow the enemy of all good, all truth, all love, all life. Every Christian has exactly that testimony. That is what they used to do. That is what they used to live for. They lived for themselves. They were desperately needy before God. We, would, we turned away from God in the very, very creative ways. Some of us brutally, some of us horribly, some of us very quietly. The Bible calls that action, that rebellion against God, it calls it Sin. And though we looked like we were living, just as the particular case of widows living for pleasure here, we were actually dead and in desperate need. But what did we find as believers? What did we find as Christians? We found a God who is for the needy. He loves the needy. Those of us who are Christians here understood that by the way we had turned from him, we were desperately needy. So what did we do? We cried out for help, just like the widow. And we found that our father, we found a father in heaven who had given a son, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, in history to be punished in our place so that we could be freely forgiven for living selfishly. We found that. We found forgiveness, we found a father who loves the needy so much that right at our, most, at our time of most need, when we were dead, when we had no prospect of doing anything to change our own circumstances, just like a widow and orphan with nothing and no hope in this world, God looked on us with absolute love and care and brought us to life and hope and sustenance and food and family and became our father. Because we have been given such kindness, we don't want to follow any of the bad examples that we've read here this morning. We don't want to go back to our selfish lives, even with a demanding family that, that, that pull on us and our time and our money all the time. We want to be the people that God wants to make us. We want to start a new life, go in a new direction. We want to live for others. We want to serve. We want to serve the most needy, the truly needy in our church family and in our wider families. That is the new heart that God has given us. So surely you want to live that out because that's what your father looks like and that's how he has loved you. This pleases God, serving the very thing his children now want to do. They spent enough time doing the opposite. This displays God's care for the needy This this, this caring for the needy displays God's care for the needy in such a way, in such a way, that people looking on and criticizing our Father in heaven, people looking on and criticizing our church community, they just can't do it because our care for the needy could look so good. Listen, I know some of the things we've read here may seem strange to you this morning, but you have an opportunity, actually, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. If, you've, if you're not part of the church family, if you've never asked God to forgive you, you have an opportunity this morning, and it's a beautiful one. You can simply admit your need to God. You can ask God to forgive you. You can ask him to forgive you for your selfish heart you can ask him to forgive you and you will discover a father in heaven who has given a son to make you a son. To provide for all your needs forever and forever and forever. And in this life, to make you part of a family, whatever your earthly family is like. To make you part of a family who will, by degrees, grow to love you let's pray Father thank you that you have such transforming love and power to make us into those who will love others in the most practical and wonderful ways Thank you for your heart of love for those in desperate need. We pray that as we go out into our week ahead, that you would help us to be givers to our world, those who serve. Amen. We're going to stand and sing and seek to encourage each other. O church, arise.